The T20 World Cup is coming to our shores in 2020 with the best of the best striving for the ultimate glory. Before that all kicks off, let's join Mel Jones as she chats to cricket royalty on road to the T20 World Cup. Another trailblazer to grace road to the T20 World Cup this week with former Australian great and current England coach Lisa Keitlin. She's on home soil, but also now technically on enemy territory. Lisa chats all things hitting record hundreds at Lords, coaching some of the world's best players, and in between it all, some classic Kiders touring stories. It's kind of weird, Lisa, can't we? Sitting in a hotel room, and I'm sitting behind me as an English cricket kit. On the TV is Australia versus India. Australian bit of strife with India absolutely flying. Do you watch these games? And get a little bit confused yourself on who you're supporting? Oh, look, I love a good game of cricket. That's probably <laughs> the best way to put it, Mel. And this looks like it's going to be a good game of cricket. So um, you could say cricket's the winner. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to play straight bat like that for the rest of the interview? You're going to give us a little bit of something, something? Well, it depends what questions you ask. Oh, all right. Now, so you're going to put so. it back on me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to put away my nice, easy questions now. I want to ask, let's go back to Mudgee. First of all, where on earth is Mudgee, for those that don't know? Yeah, for those that don't know, it's um, west of Sydney. Um, you go over the Blue Mountains. Gorgeous spot. It takes you an hour and a half to get to there and down the other side through Lithgow and then out to Mudgee, which is a two-hour drive, so three and a half hours from Sydney. little place, a little thriving place. It's definitely a booming country town and uh, it's a lot of B&Bs, wineries, farming, mining. Nice. So it's a nice little trek. I mentioned we had Belinda Clark on as our first podcast on Road to the T20 World Cup. She's from Newcastle. I'm still a little bit baffled that there's no Belinda Clark Stadium or Pavilion or Lou. <laughs> You've got one, though. I've got a little stand, yeah. yeah. At the main pavilion? At the main stadium? Um, well, we don't have too many grounds, but we yeah. do have a ground just sort of in the centre of town where they generally play most of their cricket there. Oh. And there's a little wooden stand, which they've called the Lisa Kitely stand, which I was very honoured. I'm not sure how it happened, but it happened. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, sure, no worries. Um, yeah, I reckon if we go over your stats, we'll realise why it happened, but yeah. <laughs> a nice little thing that will always be there, I suppose, when you look back on it. Yeah, for sure. Was cricket always your number one sport? No, not at all. I played heaps of stuff. Small country town, three brothers, a really sporting, I suppose, cousins and so forth, and... To keep out of trouble, I played oh, everything. Were you one of those kids? No, I think my parents thought I might have been. Oh, right, okay. Two older brothers, and they were that sort of people mm-hmm. who got into trouble, or one of them was. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, I just loved my sport and played everything that I could at school. If you had your choice again as a kid and you could be a professional athlete in any of them, would mm. you have picked a different sport? Um, well, I did love my basketball. I was okay. That was good. Uh, I did love my softball at school. That was a big sport for us. And I played quite well at that. And then cricket. So would I pick something different? Out of those three sports, I would have loved to go on to the Olympics. Yeah. But I think in the end, I was best at cricket. So that sort of led me in that path. I can remember when we first... It would have been when we first played together. It would have been out of 21s. Well, this is one of the tournaments anyways in Melbourne. And my first memories, even though I knew you were a batter, was this tall, mm-hmm. lanky, 
Well, I say medium fast. Well, is that being a bit too nice? Well, I was lanky and yeah. I was tall. <laughs> and to be fair, I was probably medium. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> bowling, a heavy ball, I'd say, as well. Didn't Bowling didn't interest you at all? Yeah, I loved both as a kid because you just want to be in the game, don't you? And yeah. I suppose if at school I was classed as good at both, so I did batting and bowling, and I used to love both because in the day I was quite tall, so I could do some bounces, yeah, um, and I could scare the young kids <laughs> that I played with. So I loved the bowling part of part of it, but as I went through, I realised that's hard work. <laughs> And I enjoyed batting a lot more, and I knew it was always going to be a batter's game, cricket. So I um, put more work into my batting, and then obviously went down the batting route more so than bowling, and I probably knew I wasn't quite quick enough. So um, in the end, it looks like a good call, Mel. <laughs> Very good call. Does that mean that you have a little bit of empathy then for players that select to become quick bowlers? and the Oh... I have a lot of empathy for all-rounders. Yeah. Uh, it's a hard slog. You've got to train in both facets. Um, and, you know, that takes hours. And then you throw all the other stuff in. Anyone yeah. who's an all-rounder, a keeper, but an all-round bowler, the spinners, hats off. Because these days you've got to put a lot of hours in. But if you were smart, you'd probably just go to batting if you could. <laughs> and who was the smarter out of the two of you? Because the... Belinda Clark, Lisa Kitely combination happened pretty early doors. How did it sort of come together and did it click straight away? Uh, it was quite funny. Belinda was playing for a club team called Marrickville United. I was travelling down to Sydney to play for Balmain. I thought it'd be really good to bat with Belinda and I actually left Balmain at the time, oh. which was a little bit oh, controversial. Wow. Yes. You know, club yes. players leaving clubs. But for me, I thought it was a good option to go and bat with Belinda. We were batting together at state cricket and it seemed to be working really well. Mm. And I went over for a year and batted with Belinda and I was really lucky the two clubs merged. So we were That's Balmain, okay, yep. <laughs> uh, Marrickville, yep. United. And... Uh, we just clicked. I think our game complemented each other and yeah. it just sort of worked. And I pretty much batted all my career state cricket in Australia with yeah. Belinda. So it was a good partnership. We knew each other pretty well by the end. Is there any moments where you can remember a sense of frustration or things weren't working or you thought, nah, what are we doing this for? As in batting with yeah. Belinda? No, because it was so good to be up the other end with Belinda because yeah. uh, she took the pressure off me a lot because obviously she's a, was a world-class player one of the all-time greats so it was pretty nice being down the other end and mm. to have an experienced player as well she played for Australia before I did yeah you can't in, underestimate the conversations as a, a younger player yeah. or a player who hadn't played at that level as early as Belinda did keeping you level-headed and calm at the crease so I think that goes under under the radar a little bit when you see uh, combinations or yeah. a younger player batting with a senior player. Nine times out of ten, they do pretty well because that senior player is talking them through. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at your stats. I'm not a not a huge one on stats, but this was an interesting one. Domestic oh. domestic cricket, average of 37 with three centuries. <laughs> Internationally, though, post, what was it, 82 ODIs, average of just a decimal point under 40. So not not too many players see that their averages go up once they're playing international cricket. 
you must have just you took to it like a duck to water almost. Oh, I think in the to be totally honest, some of the teams were a little bit off the pace, so you could oh. bump your average up a little bit. But at that stage, Australia didn't play a lot of those teams often. Yes, you no. played Pakistan, you got the one fifty six, not yeah. that was your first ton. But primarily, we were playing England and New Zealand for the majority of the time. True. Thanks, Mel. Ah, <laughs> that one puts that one yeah. to bed, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I just love to bat and, you know, as a batter, I usually got out early or I got some runs. So I suppose if I didn't get out early, <laughs> I was pretty consistent in getting the runs, I suppose. So as an opener, I've nicked a few to the keeper in my time. Haven't we um, Yeah, so I used to struggle starting, but if I got in, usually I got some runs. Average against England was 66. It just keeps going up against the better teams. Well, I did like England. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was it about them? They had a handy attack. Yeah, I think their style of bowling really complemented mine. I, I played predominantly on the front foot. So I found that easier when I went to England because yeah. the ball didn't get up too much. And over in Australia, I loved the bounce and I could pull and play quite aggressively to their bowlers that weren't that quick at the time. Yeah. I mean, if they gave you a short one, being an Australian playing men's cricket and boys' cricket all my life, I could usually hit that okay. So, yeah, yeah I used to love Australia. I think England, I think sometimes you get... You do really well against certain teams, and England was a team for me. I generally did well, so I was very confident. Yeah. And then that led to performing consistently against them. So, yeah, they were a nice team for me. So that was it's quite funny now I'm coaching them. I know. <laughs> People, you often get at sporties or just in interviews, you know, your highlights of your cricket career. And one of mine is yours, funnily enough, because I, I can remember... Lord's match and for the fact that you became the first ever female to hit 100 there and I think just the sense of the occasion as well Fitz got the first ever five by a woman at the ground as well the celebrations on the boundary line but also when you got your 100 you almost got your eye poked out did I? by Joan Broadbent was batting with didn't you run past and she oh, high-fived yeah. you and almost <laughs> took you out yeah she did uh, it was quite funny because we didn't bat in helmets at that game which is ironic these days everyone bats in a helmet yeah. but uh yeah you never knew what you're going to get with joanne broadband <laughs> did you and uh, i suppose that was a classic running past so i was too busy thinking about yes i've got a hundred at lords i wanted to celebrate and brogsy wanted to do a high five so it was one of those comical moments i suppose where it just all went wrong for a little moment but we got back on track and had a good old celebration, so that was good. When Clarkie was on the end of the podcast, we spoke about her double hundred because I was batting at the other end and I was just trying to egg myself up to the fact that I was going to have to hug her and not being a hugger. And I'm thinking, you know, this was delivery after delivery, trying to psych myself up for it. And then she gave me the big dead arm handshake and said, come on, <laughs> got a long way to go. And I'm like, what? That's Do you so remember? It is, isn't it? Do you remember getting into the 90s and what you were thinking about at the time? Did you, did you know that you would have been the first female to score 100 at the ground? No, I had no idea. Um, it was just one of those things, and I suppose um, timing's everything, and my timing on that day to get 100, as a batter, you just wanted to score 100s, to be fair. It was, yeah, it was just really nice to happen in a memory, I suppose, you look back on that, you'll always remember, and yeah, it's definitely me 
fondest memory, I suppose, yeah. individually, yeah. batting-wise, was really good, yeah. Was I thinking what I was going to do? All that was going through my head was everyone was up in the balcony. I could see they all had their cameras out. And I was like, oh, gosh. Just to make it a little bit easier for you. Lisa, uh, Lisa please, please score this hundred. Or there's going to be some disappointing people up on the balcony. And then the, my next thing was thinking about, I remember as a kid, well, not a kid, I was nearly the same age, really, seeing Michael Slater score his hundred at Lords, yeah. and he kissed the crests and put his hands up yeah. so I was like that's what I'm doing right <laughs> thanks slats <laughs> yeah so I got uh, slats to think to that but I was disappointed in another way because that day I didn't really do my hair right yeah and I just wish I look back and but you had had hair anyway yeah, so I, yeah I look back and I thought gee I wish I did my hair nicer on that day if only I knew I was going to get some runs because I think the morning of I just put my cap on and obviously didn't worry about it because I thought oh, I'll just put my cap on when yeah. we play so it won't be so superstitions then no not at right. all right so you See, did your hair the next game then no 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 <laughs> I just wished that I had my hair, did my hair a little bit nicer on that day, really, Mel. Radio. Well, I'll give you a buzz, potentially if England make the World Cup final yep. in a couple of weeks' time. I'll just give you a buzz in the morning, just remind you okay, that, that'd to do be your nice. hair. Cheers. This is, what, this is what friends are for. Yeah. You always were a good mate. <laughs> Touring, did you enjoy it? Because one of my oh, other favourite... <laughs> Because it just makes me laugh every single time. Because we got we were lucky enough. Or I was lucky enough to t- to tour with you to India, and I just you were the tuck shop. You know, you can, the girl from Mudgee wasn't overly keen on. And this was wasn't just India. This was England and everywhere. We knew that if we needed to, you know, get a muesli bar or you know some nuts or something that we couldn't get from back home, that you had the extra suitcase just jam packed. Yeah. Well, I always love my. Um, sweets and I knew going to India I'd been told that you couldn't get much and yeah. to be fair where we were staying at and the hotels and places we yeah. stayed at it's no five star where I'm just going to get a hot chocolate or yeah. go down to the corner shop so yeah I planned really well I packed smartly <laughs> and then I bartered you with did. people for different snacks when I got sick of mine but yeah, that was always a fond mem- memory, and all the players remember it about how I was called the tuck shop. And if you wanted something, if you ran out you, yourself, you could you come and go get to. something, but you needed to swap something. Yeah. Was my big one. Yeah. Did you yeah. make money on that those tours? No, I never charged. Oh, okay. I just wanted just, a good swap. It was like prison, like you know. The yeah, old... I know. Wasn't it great? <laughs> yeah. So India was good fun, but um, yeah, some funny times, wasn't it? Really. <laughs> I think I've got a few good stories <laughs> of me touring. Um, usually people were paying me ma- paying myself out for different things, but it was always worth a good laugh, wasn't it? The entire team loved you to bits, though, when you took out Player of the Match of the Ward in Varpi in India. And people go, automatically, if they think you got Player of the Match, they'll say, oh, how many did you hit? You hit 80, but you took three for. Yeah. Three for 17. So mm. that, and it wasn't pace. You went the office. Yeah, why not? See, pace is far too hard. Why did Belinda Clark turn to to Lisa Cartley's off spin? Oh, I hate to say this, and Shelley Nitschke's probably going (laughs) to kill me if she listens to this. Shell's a fantastic player for Australia, Shelley Nitschke, and her first tour to India as a spinner, she got the yips, Yips. Mm. and she couldn't land them, bless her. And I was bowling a little bit in the nets and bowled a little bit of spin for state cricket. 
So with Shell going down and struggling, Belinda's turned to, I suppose, someone who she's watched a lot in the nets and at state cricket and said, Parankitas, you need to bowl some offies here. So yeah, I did. It was great fun because for me it was how many overs can I get? Because I knew once yeah. I got hit, I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't work. We knew there was a car up for grabs that day and we knew that one of us had to do really well because if it was close, it was going to one of the Indian players. So with three for an 80, I suppose, it was hard for him not to give it to me. So that was good timing again, Mel. And it was some laughs and memories again, which a lot of people will... We talk about it I don't know. How many did we fit in? It was a tiny car. It was one of those little... All of them. We fit the did whole we get the, 12. Did we get the whole 12 in? We did. That's impressive. Yeah. Because it was a tiny, tiny car. Yeah. We had 12 in there, hanging off. And the funniest thing was when I did the bunny hops. <laughs> the old manual car. Yeah, I did it on purpose because I knew there was 12 in the car and the crowd were loving it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, another funny... Funny memory and um, good times. And it was just to remind people too, it wasn't just your bottom three of the Indian order either. They're all top order wickets, including Matali Raj. Yeah, that was a dirty half tracker. Hit straight, <laughs> <laughs> straight to mid wicket, but it was great. I actually tell a few players I got Matali Raj yeah. out now in my coaching years. I pull well, that story you? out when they say, Lucy, you got some wickets? And I said, yes, I've actually got Matali Raj. Yeah, first played to 6,000 one-day international runs. I'd be yelling that from yes. the rooftop as well. Yeah. Okay, so everything's flying. Then 2000 World Cup, Australia went in as favourites. It was a close final. I remember watching it in my lounge room and had friends over and I think everyone was yelling at the TV screen by the end of it. Post that World Cup, you decide to retire. Some people, when they retire, say, I just, I knew it was it. I'd had enough or is going out on top. What were the thoughts behind retirement? Um, retirement, to, I was gutted after the 2000 and um, the 2000 World Cup. I think we had held the record something like 14 or 15 games straight. 17. 17, we right hadn't lost a game, mm -hmm. got to the final yeah. expecting to win. Wanted to play our best as you do, and it didn't go didn't go well. <laughs> New Zealand won that one in the last over, and a lot of us were really gutted. Yeah, we really thought we'd peaked and were in a really good form. And as you do on a final, you still got to bring your best. And New Zealand did it that day. And and then for me, my thinking was, uh, I'm not sure if I can go another four years seemed a long time away state yeah. cricket that season after that didn't go that well and I lost the drive and the to do all the stuff that I had to do yeah and I was working in cricket at New South Wales full-time and I just didn't want to do it it was yeah. all too hard and I was at that stage of well I'm not going to the next World Cup so how much do I want to train do I mm -hmm. want to think um, with work and do that without cricket and have a I suppose you look at it as a normal life yeah and was my time done I think I was 30 and I thought it was so I, yeah retired <laughs> <laughs> and then I um, that winter I kept training as in fitness wise yeah. and 
uh, pre-season, I was still playing for New South Wales the next year, so I was hitting a lot of balls and I thought, hmm, I'm actually quite enjoying it now without yeah. having to do yeah. it. And I, So I rang uh, Marg Jennings at the time and said, oh, Marg, I think I might have made a mistake. Yeah. Um, How I, hard was that to do? Um, well, for me, it wasn't hard because... I had that in my mind that I, I wanted to play for Australia again, but at yeah. the same time, I didn't want to get to the end of the season, play well, and then stick my hand up. Yeah. And to be fair, I didn't know how I was going to go, mm. and you don't know how the selectors are going to view it if you retire and then all of a sudden say, oh, sorry, I made a mistake. Yeah. So I just rang Marg and said, look, Marg, I've been training. I'm hitting them well. I've changed a few things at work because uh, I think I was just burnt out doing working and playing cricket and I changed a few things up there on how I would go about things working in cricket and then yeah. playing and so I rang her and she was really good and I said I just wanted to ring you now because I didn't want to get to the end of the season and then stick my hand up to say yeah. I wanted to play so I just wanted to put it out there if I play well fantastic and I'm good enough to get in that's mm -hmm. great and if I don't well that's okay you know I still got the drive to do it and hopefully I'll play well enough to force my hand so yeah. I was lucky the selectors didn't hold too many grudges <laughs> and I was playing well enough and I think it was the fuel that I needed to have a bit of drive to get back into something yeah um so it made me play really well and Hopefully I was hard to leave out because I was hitting them well. Yeah, well, hitting well. Won a World Cup in 2005. Yep. Then retired again. It wasn't like the yeah. Johnny Farnham kind of retirement. It was retirement then and there. No, I was definitely too old to keep going this time. <laughs> uh, was coaching always a something that you were passionate, was it, were you passionate about? It? You just thought it was a natural progression? Yeah, I just sort of fell into it with work, really. I was good at cricket. I got a job at New South Wales Cricket. And at those stages, your role really changed in different ways. I was doing half community cricket and half high performance. Yeah. I really enjoyed the high performance because you could see a result mm -hmm. after each season and how players were going. Community cricket, I, for me, I was quite frustrated because you couldn't see the impact that you're making. Yeah. So naturally I went into the high performance side of things and running the programs there in the underage stuff and it's sort of, I did that for five years and then coming to the end of cricket I was coaching at Balmain at the time and then towards the end uh, the New South, Rolls, New South Wales role came up full time and I just sort of put my hand up, thought it'd be good to go through an interview. Right did a bit of coaching with the underage programs and in new high performance pretty well, but not a head coach. Yeah. So I did the interview and to my surprise, I got it, Mel. <laughs> um, it all started from there. So yeah, I've loved every moment of it and just keep learning every day, which is, which that's the bit yeah. I love, yeah. Yeah, as we say that, India now need 24 runs, sorry, 23 runs of 19 balls against Australia at the Junction Oval. Is it hard to be chatting here? Like, I know you've kept your eye on it. Do you sort of sit back and watch these games and and think, oh, why are they doing that? They should be doing this. No. I've got to jot some notes down. This is how Harmon Precourt is hitting them. No, I haven't, Mel, but I'll be definitely looking after them <laughs> after this to see what's going on. Um, it just shows. Are you going to call it? Who's winning uh, this? No. Core, 14 from 14. Mundana, 48 from 42. Oh. 23 from 18. 
Australia really experienced with the bowlers they've got and India's probably got the best chance they've got because their two set batters are in and they're experienced batters so it's going to be absolute cracker. So it's the first time in a long time I've seen you sitting on the fence. Okay, so... <laughs> I've got better at that. <laughs> Funny that. When you, when you got into coaching, you went straight into coaching. So you're basically coaching so many of the players that you were had played most of your career with. Yeah. Was that a reason why when you got the Australian job as, as head coach yeah. that you just took a, a step back as well from doing the Aussie job yeah. the New South Wales job was a lot easier because your best players are never going to miss a game generally because yeah. they're, they're your experienced players and yeah. do the bulk of the work so coaching at state level against uh, with my mates yeah. basically was really easy because yeah. they were I, I didn't have any hard conversations and I worked a lot with the younger players that came through more mm -hmm. than probably the senior players because they were Australian players. So that was really easy. When I got the Australian job, I remember going away. I was quite surprised to get it because of my lack of coaching. I only coached How old would you have been then? Uh, gee, Mel, you're not meant to ask age. <laughs> I had coached New South Wales for three years. I okay, retired when one. I was 34, so I was 30. Yeah, seven. Seven. Mm. Um, a few years ago. And there were still players that I played with in the Australian team. One of my good touring mates, Cara Rolton, mm -hmm. and a number of other players. Uh, Shelley Nitschke was there, Alex Blackwell. There was just a lot of players that I still played with. And it's a different kettle of fish because you know, they're getting to the end of their careers as well and yeah. decisions have to be made. And I was still learning on the job yeah. on how to coach, I suppose, and have conversations. So I, I remember sitting with Chris Denny Matthews, who was member uh, manager at the time. We'd gone to Darwin. I was doing my first tour against New Zealand. And I said to her, I'm not going to like this gig. Right. Yeah, so that was probably a month and a half into it. And she goes, really? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, nah. Um, and I think I lasted another six months. Yeah. And for me, I, I think I chose my mates more than my job because I wanted to keep my mates. So I, I didn't want to have yeah. hard yeah. conversations. Mm. And um, to be totally honest, a lot of the stuff I was doing and making decisions on were my first time and it was at the highest point you could do. So you had a lot of doubts if you're doing yeah. things right. And learning to have conversations with players, I, I look back now and how I did it then to how I do it now, and it's yeah. chalk and cheese. So I think it was the right decision for me to yeah to leave and um, go and coach somewhere else. You you brought up the difference between coaching early doors to now. How much, if at all, has your coaching philosophy changed over time? Ah, uh, look, huge, and I really hope it continues to change because. I think if it's not changing or you're not looking at others or other sports or how you go about things, um, you're not looking to get better. My philosophy generally is, um, you know, autonomy, player-led program yeah. and how much you teach and how much you drag out of people is different. So a young kid who doesn't know stuff you know what are those conversations to make yeah. them think about it or sometimes you might have to tell them so because they don't know and yeah. then with a senior player how much are you asking questions rather than telling yeah and getting them to understand themselves and having a 
good balance between life mm -hmm. <laughs> and cricket because <laughs> mental health is huge but I really yeah. think I'm big on players are getting downtime and getting away and yeah. so I hope to put that in programs where they feel like they're not getting burnt out. Is it easier to coach these days? There's more money in the system, you're now the first full-time professional female coach of the England women's cricket team so is it easier in a way because of the resources being put into the game or is it harder because there's just so many other challenges you mentioned the whole instance of mm. mental health and the like for me it's a tricky one because I still feel like at times the women's game is still going through a transition of yeah, semi-professional yep. to fully professional and for me the I suppose the challenge is now of a coach is you've got a huge support staff mm -hmm. and your squads are really big so pulling all that together and getting people working together and still in the direction of your philosophy and how yeah. you want to go about things is the biggest challenge and players obviously at a state level it was a real balanced transition of you've got school kids who yep. are doing HSC you've got girls that are at uni you know at that stage I had Elise Filani and Nicole Bolton full-time athletes mm -hmm. and then some players who just starting to do cricket and nothing else and saying yeah. come on yeah what's your other <laughs> thing to get away from cricket so yeah. I think at state level it was extremely challenging to pull all that together to mm. get it right for each individual yep. I don't like to try and create a program that is just blanket across so I really try and tailor towards individuals and what they what that looks like so yeah it is extremely challenging conversations I think now are key and how you yeah. can talk to your players um, and get those relationships so they trust you yeah is um, that because you mentioned that the, the coaching squads the support staff is it's quite large now and you can yeah. bring in experts in keeping and bowling and spin yeah. and batting so that then you can have those more more of those conversations yeah. yeah and i suppose trusting those staff to work with you yeah and get all on board without stopping them being them as a coach mm -hmm. so i just try and be really strong with the messages and the direction and then what that looks like for each coach can be different yeah I just try and let people be them and then work within giving them really clear messages of yeah. where you want to get to as a program and as a coach and what the key themes are and continuous conversations with players and staff are key. Have you seen someone who's done it well before? Like if you just, yeah, the kind of person says, looks at other ways in which other coaches go about specifically that side of things and go, yeah, that's, that's how I'd like to do it. I've been... Not necessarily coaches. I've had a lot of coaches in my time and uh, I love seeing environments and what different people do. So yeah. I try and pull a heap of things out. I wouldn't say coaches, but I'd say there's two programs of education that I've gone through that have made an impact on how I do things. Yeah. And that was the level four in England. That yeah. was really helpful. One for me to understand myself, my strengths and weaknesses and mm -hmm. how to go about um, having conversations and working with yeah. boards and players and staff. And the other one was the AIS podium course where 
I worked with 12 coaches and I've had two years of listening to different mm -hmm. things that have happened in their environments yeah. uh, and uh, having conversations with those coaches when you're not too sure on what to do and it's good to have a, another opinion. Yeah. So those things are, I think I've learned to do really well and uh, ask and question how I do things yeah. to see if I could do them better. You've been the ultimate professional because it's been me that's been pausing as this game goes down to the wire. We're going to take a quick break on the road to the T20 World Cup because there's just nine deliveries left in this match in the Tri-Series before the World Cup and I want to watch it as much as I'm enjoying having a no. chat to you, Leslie. We'll be back and in a second. Ten, Mel. Ten off nine. See, this is, yeah. I'm not even paying attention. We'll be back in a tick. On SEN, this is Road to the T20 World Cup with Mel Jones. Well, would you believe it? India's won. Tri-Series, so it comes down to your game tomorrow against Australia. So you win that. It'll be Australia-India in the final. India's form surprised you at all? I think we all know they've got dangerous batters and today those batters did really well. They clicked. Is that How do you, as a coach, or even as a player for that matter, because you've, you've won World Cups as a player, what, what's the key ingredient to, to winning a World Cup? Is it ensuring, is it more on-field than off-field? Is it a good combination of both? Oh, I think it's a combination of both and um, just building confidence throughout. And I think you forget about it a lot, but you just need to win your games and sometimes it doesn't really matter what that looks like and you can have your perfect scenario and how you want to go about it but sometimes in World Cups it's a little bit different and you just got to scrape and get through. Yeah, it's a really good point because no one ever really remembers the round games unless you're probably a player yourself. Everyone just remember remembers who, who won it. Yeah, you just got to get people um, getting to a place where they're confident and feeling like uh, they're walking out um, knowing what they want to do and have really clear plans and strategies. And these days, match-ups are key and you can help players out by doing your homework and trying to do the best with match-ups you can. As coach of the England team, one of the first things you probably look at is who you've got in your own pool. How do you see that panning out for, for England? Oh, there's no doubt. I think we have an easier pool on rankings. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And South Africa look really dangerous from watching some of their plays through yeah. the Big Bash and how they've gone over in New Zealand. And then I think the West Indies are the unknown. For the last 12 months, they've had key players out. Yeah. And those key players, I think, are, are back in. Yep. Um, so uh, they're the unknown, but we all know that they've got players that on their day can win your matches yeah. too. So, But I can't wait, Mel, to play... Thailand. <laughs> I just can't wait. I think it's such yeah, so good for the game um, that a team in a country like Thailand can be in a World Cup, and I, I just can't wait to see how they go. And yeah, um, I think everyone's looking forward to it. It's yeah. and I mentioned it on one of the other podcasts. I think Mary Waldron brought it up that the women's program in Thailand gets more resources and funding than the men's program, which would be. I couldn't think, take netball out of the equation, I couldn't think of another sport anywhere in the world where that, that probably happens. Yeah, I know. Awesome. <laughs> well, it's work. They're in the World Cup. This is it. 
the money they've spent, they've got a good investment, <laughs> good return. Um, could they cause an upset? It would be probably one of the not. biggest upsets <laughs> in World Cup history. I hope it's not against us. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I honestly don't know because I, I haven't got Isn't any it? information yeah. on them and we'll be trying to get as much information <laughs> before we play them. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people know. <laughs> Please tell me you put a... There was a bonus clause in your contract for England for winning a World Cup within <laughs> six months of starting. Oh, look, I'd be really wrapped for the plays if, if we could get there. That would be my bonus at this stage, Mel. <laughs> a month into my job. Yeah, that's it. The last World Cup was uh, 2018 in the West Indies and England had a horror start because they lost Sarah Taylor, who pulled out previous to it, and then Catherine Brunt did her, did her back. We were both coached by John Harmer mm. and one of his sayings was you just got to control the controllables as much as things might go awry you can't invest too much energy into that because it is out of your control how much of that plays in your mind when you come into a World Cup well for me nothing ever goes smoothly there's and when it does there's something around the corner that's going to happen right okay. <laughs> that's what I've learned in coaching so far when it's quiet I'm nervous because <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't know. So how do you prepare for, that, prepare for that? Do you actually sit down and, and, say, and get your support staff in going, right, how do we manage if player X and X go down before the start? Yeah, well, I'm always thinking of it. And I suppose for me, this is what's been so good with the Tri-Series mm. is you can play around with things. I know you want to win and you can play around with things with... If this happens, we need to get this player up ready and full of confidence and or we want to see how this player goes. Yeah. So there's look, to be totally honest, we've been doing that throughout the tri series and we'll be doing it throughout the World Cup as well, making sure if this player goes down this is players next in and ready yeah. and so forth from skill sets I think as a coach. I don't think you're doing your job if you're not looking at that sort yeah. of stuff. So, yeah, all the staff, we have a lot of conversations about what if. And, yeah, yeah it was nice to get the super over the other day because that was about our eighth time since I've started doing a super over. So the players were really clear on what they're doing yeah. and the way we went about it. Um, they knew what was going on and thinking of matchups and yeah. so forth. It, you know, I love all that stuff. I think that's really good. <laughs> Uh, on game day when you have to make decisions really quickly but at the same you've prepped for it so yeah. you can just go with your gut on the day. Has there been a surprise for you with this England setup because they played and they probably performed underperformed during the recent Ashes series and then Mark Robinson his contract wasn't extended you, you come in and you, you know the players a lot. You've coached a lot of them when you were coach of the academy team in England. A lot of the players have played over with the Perth Scorchers as well. Have you come into this environment and gone, wow, I didn't expect that from this group? Well, I've nearly flipped it the other way. I know the girls so well yeah. and they know me so well. So that wasn't a huge change for them. Yeah. Um, the players aren't talking about the Ashes anymore. They've moved on mm. and they're really happy with where they're at. Mm -hmm. As a coach, it's really unfortunate, I suppose, when another coach walks away. So oh, it's just it's a tricky one, isn't it? Mm. All I know is, and what um, I was interested in the position is, 
the girls that play for England love playing for England. Yeah. They really enjoy what they do. Um, and there's some really good cricketers in there and and some match winners. And I thought, do you know what? They'd be a really good team to coach yeah. because of those reasons. And they have a lot of fun too, which is good. So we have a lot of laughs and I knew that, I suppose, going into the role and that's what I suppose I wanted to bring back is yeah. that enjoyment of playing and, and backing them in and yeah. that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's just been great and the players have been great and... I think what's happened in the past has happened like most teams and it's just Everyone the time, <laughs> you know, to mm. put a line in the sand and say that was that and this is where we want to go to and let's work really hard to get to where we want to go and for you guys to be the best cricketers and people you can be. You're back in Australia now. You'll head back to England post this World Cup. Does Lisa Kitely pack an extra suitcase of tuck shops? What are you going to miss when you're in England for the next... Three-year contract, is that right? Yeah, it's yeah. funny you said that, Mel. Um, I've packed a coffee machine. Okay, yes. Yeah, because um, Australians well, do love their coffee and, yes, it is different over in England <laughs> and I don't feel like it. it's as nice. <laughs> so I have packed my little tuck shop and okay. got a coffee machine. Will I miss... Oh, look, there's all things I'm going to miss. Sun, light, <laughs> friends, family, mm. but... For me, it was a uh, great time to get back into international cricket. Yeah. And I was really lucky. I've got a very supportive partner who let me go yeah. for the three years. So it's a good time to be involved. That's lucky because we've been recording for about 40 minutes here and you had not mentioned anything I about know. your partner. So I would have got in trouble. Yeah, massively. <laughs> Hi, Karen. I very much appreciate you letting me go for three years. Yeah, it's no, she's really supportive and it's been fantastic to have her around, her excitement. She's learning the game too, which is nice. Yeah, hopefully not too much. <laughs> I like the way she is. She, not very sporty, wouldn't say watched much cricket before, but has come a long way. That she has. <laughs> yeah, so no, it's been great. So there's heaps of things I'll miss, but I'm really fortunate that... I've been able to have another crack at coaching internationally and, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. So I'm sure we'll have lots of ups and downs, but so far it's been great and I'm loving every moment of it. Okay, picture this. You in your Three Lions tracksuit. Yeah. You're on the boundary line at the MCG. Mm. England, let's say uh, you're with the team, you're batting. You're only a couple of runs away, last delivery. You get them. The MCG is packed to the rafters. Yeah. What, what does that feel like? It'd be amazing, wouldn't it, as a cricketer who and a supporter of cricket for a number of generations, mm. to see women's cricket get to that stage and the momentum of women's sport yeah. um, in Australia and in England... You just shake your head yeah. and think, wow, I never thought it, in my lifetime it would come to this stage, but it just shows organisations investing in in uh, the women's pathway yeah. and getting it on TV mm-hmm. and for a young female to watch and get role models and heroes, mm. how quickly it can change. So firstly, it'd be great to be at the MCG on the sideline and secondly to look up 
at the crowd, I think there'll be a lot of women in that stadium and cricketers from the past just yeah. going, wow, this is sensational. Yeah. Um, so either way, I hope it's it's sold out and I'll be standing there as a coach or as a <laughs> spectator. Thinking, so you'll come along regardless? Yeah, of course yeah. I would. I wouldn't miss yeah. it for the world. It would be awesome. Yeah. And most importantly, probably the most important question to finish things off, how's your hair looking <laughs> at that moment? That <laughs> will be good. I definitely would have gone and got the highlights to cover the greys <laughs> from the tournament and hopefully it's not looking too bad, but I would have a cap on and it wouldn't be coming off the duration of the match now, so... It'd be good. Can I just say one thing? Yeah, you can say you more than one thing. You haven't asked me my most memorable sporting Oh, moment. I haven't either. No. Wow, this is like, I think, the 15th, 16th in road to the T20 World Cup. And it's usually my first go-to because I'm oh. always quite excited. So thank you. No, my pleasure. Right, okay. Just rewinding, rewinding. Lisa Cartley, your most memorable sporting moment. Oh. Olympics. Just imagine if you're at the Olympics yep. in the stadium. Mm-hmm. Full house. Yep. Kathy Freeman's 400 oh, metres. Yes. Were you there or were you watching on TV? No, I was there. You were there? Yes. Which part of the track? I was just past the finishing line. Oh, I know. Yeah, that's I know. Good. Well, <laughs> yeah, long story. <laughs> Best day of my life. My God. The expectation yeah. of a single athlete yeah. with the pressure of. Mm-hmm all of Australia, and then when she walked out in that cat suit... Yep, the full body. With the hood. The hood. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, that is huge. And to listen to the crowd just scream the yeah. whole way round, and yeah. then when they worked out she was in front and she was mm. going to win was amazing. And it's got goosebumps all over again. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. That was brilliant. That's... And she's always been absolute legend from yeah. that day on. I had the absolute honour and privilege of sitting next to her at a, um, at a conference in which they replayed the race. Yeah. So sitting there next to her and I, I was watching her more than the replay on the screen. So it would have been an auditorium of about 400 people. And she watched it like she didn't know what the result was. And I'm, I'm sitting next to her going, you know you win, don't you? <laughs> You've got this right. But she was so into it again. Yeah. And that was that was probably one of my most, yeah, favourite sporting moments. Wasn't, was, yes, watching it. I yeah. didn't happen to be there, but was watching her watch it again and just see the, almost the excitement and exhilaration yet again when she passed. And yeah. relief probably was the other one when she passed it. I oh, know. That's... That's impressive. Well, I'm glad you yeah. reminded me. <laughs> I know. Amazing. I wasn't going to let that one slide. No. No. Wow. Yeah. Well, let's finish on... That's so much better than finish on what kind of haircut you're going to have for the World Cup <laughs> final. Lisa Gartley, thank you so much. <laughs> My pleasure, Mel. It's always a pleasure catching up with you. <laughs>